one announcement for uh, parents. We had kind of our first gathering with a bunch of discussion on parenting, and and uh, this last week was kind of looking how do we develop a long-range mentality for parenting that's kind of beyond just the immediate stuff that's going on in parents' lives. But uh, th- this coming week, uh, I think to begin with here, we're going to throw out this idea that there are these phases of, of kids, the development of kids, and, and there's these key adjustment points that these different er- this different as they grow up, that parents are the called to make the adjustment, and that's kind of where we're headed here th- this Wednesday night. But this morning, we want to bring to a close this series on the heart and we've been looking at these things at the heart and the treasures, and we looked at some of the treasures like time and, and children, money, and you rec- recognize that they are the things that we value deeply within us. But let me put on the screen Luke 6.45, and it was a verse that we began the first Sunday with, and look how it reads. Here Jesus is teaching, he says, the good person... Um, out of the good treasure of his heart produce good, and the evil per, uh, person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. This word heart is used well over a thousand times in the Bible. And it's not talking about the physical heart, it's talking about this spiritual or this heart that's within us that, that defines really who we are. The heart is the moral compass of our lives. It's the place where that flows, the outward actions flow from the heart. It's that place where our treasures are stored. It's the place that really defines us as a person. But this morning, to end this, turn to Proverbs chapter 4. And the book of Proverbs, as many of you know, it's a book of wisdom written primarily by Solomon, but inspired by God, and it teaches just some very practical wisdom in terms of how do we live effectively. And we want to just look at seven verses here today, but let me just read those beginning in verse 20 from chapter 4. It says this, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings and let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away your crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure." Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Now within this section, there's one verse that I want to go after this morning. And it's really verse 23. Because I think in many ways the, the summary of this whole section is this section, is this verse here. Look how it reads. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, if you've got a New American Standard, it uses the word diligence there yet. But I want to show you the NIV because the NIV actually adds an emphasis that's there that a very literal translation doesn't quite give. And you'll see how they translated it in verse 23. It says this from the NIV, Above all else, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. 
See, that above all else and and to guard this heart, it's great seriousness here. This isn't just a, oh, by the way, you know, be careful. No, that's not what it's saying at all. Matter of fact, the word diligence or vigilance in the Hebrew culture, let me put that word, it's, it's the word mishmar, but it's this, look at the, some of the definitions. A place of confinement, prison, guard, jail, guard, post, watch, observe, jail, prison house, guard house, guard, post, the act of guarding. So to watch... And to guard, it's almost like there's a double emphasis there. Guard your heart with vigilance. It's like a guard guarding a prison. It's that kind of emphasis toward it. Matter of fact, I think when you begin to dig into this text just a little bit, you see that as as Solomon writes this, the rest of this verse is actually kind of pointing to this verse. Look at verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear. Let them not escape. You, you catch the way, the importance of them. Keep them within your heart. That they are life. And they're healing for all the flesh. And above all these things, guard your heart. See, why is guarding the heart so important? Almost like guarding a jail. Why is it so critical here? Well, let me give you a couple pieces to this as we walk through this idea. What does it mean to guard our hearts? It's so vital to our lives. But if you're taking notes, number one, I wrote it this way. Just remember, the heart determines the direction of one's life. And that's what Jesus taught. See, this is something that we must not forget the heart is crucial, and, and, but look at 23b, that's that last part of the verse. For, for it, from it flow the springs of life. Now, does anybody have a spring on their property at all? I don't know if a number of you do. I have a small one on my property. But if you notice that at certain times, the spring, this water is just coming out of the ground. And what you know is that there's a reservoir of water on here that's pushing forward and that's producing the surface water. And frankly, it's the reservoir, that picture of the reservoir is what, that's the heart. And what's springing forth is our lives. So what Jesus is saying, it's the reservoir, it's the heart, and then what springs out of that, he said, it could be good, it could be evil, but the question kind of comes when you look at the water itself of a spring and you go, is it good? Can you drink it? Is it clear? Is it muddy? But let me, you see, you see the tension is if we don't realize that the heart is what defines us and where we're really at in the spiritual realm. But let me deepen this just a little bit more. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. I'll put it on the screen because there's a connection here to the heart here. Look at how Ephesians 1.16 reads. Paul is praying here, and he's so rich in theology even when he prays, but he's kind of telling them their prayer, how he's praying for them. He says this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That phrase, having the eyes of the heart enlightened, that phrase really here is about salvation. Salvation has worked in these, these people's lives that he's praying for. See, salvation is also connected to our hearts. The work has to be done in the heart for salvation to occur. And the gospel and the Holy Spirit has to work in order for a true conversion to happen in our lives, in our hearts. But let me give you some point, a point here and just an illustration. Letter A for your notes to fill that in for you. When salvation occurs, a person's heart, spiritual heart, begins to bend away from the self and toward God. Now, I got an example of a, of a straw here I brought. And you understand that when, when you think of a person before Christ, before being in Christ, there's a bend in our lives. And that bend is bending toward ourselves. So when one doesn't have Christ, when the Holy Spirit is not within that person, there is a bent that's going, it's about me and what I want. But when the Holy Spirit begins to work, when the eyes of the heart have been enlightened, what the heart is doing is the Holy Spirit begins to pour his love into our lives and it begins bending away from self and it begins pointing toward God. And you see that then as one is all of a sudden there's new desires. The heart is not, the Holy Spirit is within us then at that point and he says, can, love God, obey God. Turn your life over to him. But you understand there's difference then, that the heart before salvation, after salvation. Matter of fact, let me illustrate with another verse. Jeremiah 17, 9. Look how this reads. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now here's where you got to be very careful because this verse is talking where the eyes of the heart has not been enlightened. This is not talking about one who is a child of God right now. This is talking, this is pre-salvation, the heart of a person who does not have Christ in their lives. And the heart has not been enlightened. But you see the deception that goes on. The heart is deceitful. So you understand, here's the tension, even when you look at the phrase guarding your heart. Do you understand the heart issue is pre-salvation all the way up till we hit eternity? The heart is an issue. Even before Christ, the heart is deceitful. It's fooling itself into believing some things and believing, frankly, believing lies. And there's a challenge for us because we have to stop and ask the question, what, where, what is the bent of our lives? Is the bent still going, me, 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 me? Or is it going, okay, God, I know I need to please you. I know I need to walk with you. And is the bend that all of a sudden we're bending our hearts toward God? Is there still a battle? The answer is yes, there is. But there's a new desire within us. And, and the challenge, I would challenge you here today. There might be people here today where you go, I just don't have a desire to please God. 
And and I would challenge you and go, you want to talk to somebody? Because there's an issue of eternity at stake here. Matter of fact, for parents, as we've been talking about parents here a little bit, I'd remind you that for salvation for your children, it starts in the hearts of your kids as well. And and salvation is so much more than just getting your kid to say a formula prayer at 5, 6, 7, 8, or 10, or 15. Salvation has to have the heart changed, the the eyes of the heart enlightened in order for your kids to be moving toward God. And, And I've seen many parents over the years try to force their kids toward salvation and you can't do it because it has to be of their volition. They need to understand where they're at. The Spirit has to work and open the heart for even a child to embrace Christ. Now, is there, then you could just go, oh, throw up your hands and go, okay, it's not in our hands. I go, no. Because I think for parents, it's this. Are we providing an environment for our kids where they can hear the gospel? Do they see the love of Christ and compassion? And is God good in our families? Are, are they seeing us? Because that's attractive. It pulls their deceitful heart toward God. See, there's things that we can do. Do you, do you share with your kids how God worked in your life when you were younger? Do you tell them your story of God working in you? Some of those are some of the things that a parent must do regularly to create this platform and share the gospel regularly with, with their kids. The gospel's powerful. Think of Romans 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power that can actually draw people to Christ. We need to be faithful in that. But when we think of this guarding the heart, the rest of the time what I'm talking about is really the one who is in Christ now. And you say, what does it mean for us who, have, who is a child of God? What can we do? But matter of fact, I, I think when you ask the question, if there's, okay, how do we grow? How do we mature? Here's what we generally kind of lean toward. You know what? I know we need to worship him. And you go, absolutely. And I know I need to spend time in God's word. And I'll go, critically important. And do we need to pray? You go, without a doubt. But how many would put along with those three elements this idea of guarding the heart as vitally important to our faith development? See, I don't think we normally link that phrase of importance. Matter of fact, this phrase in Proverbs 4 has, I think, been trivialized a little bit, and a lot of youth, youth pastors have used it in terms of only sexual morality and sexual purity. Guard your heart so you're, you're guarding from this stuff, okay? And, and that, it's still important, okay? But it's far more than that for us. So let me give you some more pieces what I think it means to guard our hearts for us to be with all diligence, Guarding our hearts. Number two in your notes, we need to learn to deal with evil and our own sin. Now, I think we assume this is straightforward and we look at that phrase and, yeah, okay, I'm going to confess my sins and I'm going to stop doing those moral sins that I've been doing. We avoid people that are evil and the evil in this world, but uh, you know what? Let's just throw away the internet, the TV, and then that's good. That's guarding the heart. And I go, I think it's more than that. 
Let me give you one piece, letter A, what I, how I think it's a little bit deeper. First, we need to avoid evil, which, which means avoid the ditches. We need to stay out of the ditch. Matter of fact, look at Proverbs 4, 26 and 27. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. See, what's it implying? That we're on a, a journey and we're on a path, but folks, there's ditches on both sides filled with evil. Anybody ever been on a ditch cleanup crew? I've been once or twice. And you think of what's in the ditch. Broken glass, bottles, poison ivy, poison oak. Okay, now it's snow, so you don't have to worry about it. But you understand that in the ditch, there really isn't nothing all that beneficial. And the evil one, Satan, wants nothing more to then the pull Christians where they start all of a sudden sliding off the road and sliding into the ditch and trying to drive their spiritual lives in a ditch. Do you know how fast a car goes in a ditch compared to on the road? You just don't move very fast, especially in the spiritual sense. So look at verse 26. Ponder the path of your feet. See, do we ever stop and ask the question, where are we going in life? Where are we headed? What's the destination? What's the purpose of my life? See, is the ultimate purpose of my life to build bigger barns, have more stuff? Is that the goal? Does the path that we have, is there anything, does it include laying up treasures in heaven? I just can't help wonder if people are on this spiritual yellow brick road and they go, and they get to the end and go, it's the wrong road. And verse 26 says to slow down and ponder the direction of one's life and our goals. That's what we talked about in our parenting class a little bit on Wednesday night. But look at it, Matthew. Uh, another example of a road. And I think it adds a little bit here, Matthew 7, 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Jesus uses this in a little different way. But what is he saying there? Is that we think that the road is really wide for us. And Jesus says, no, it's an actual pretty narrow path. And the world out there thinks, you know what, there's all kinds of ways to get to God. And there's a broad, everybody goes to heaven. And Jesus goes, no, they haven't been reading the words of Jesus. Because Jesus is saying, no, it's a narrow road. It's a narrow path. And people can go in the ditch. And they're actually headed off in a direction that has eternal consequences. See, guarding the heart says that we stop and we examine where are we heading and to slow down and ponder. But let me give you another one, letter B. I think this is in terms of guarding the hearts. We need to allow people to speak truth toward our hearts. Look at verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. 
You understand, there's a relationship here. It might be a group of people that Solomon's talking about, but there's an inference that an old, someone older maybe in the faith is talking to somebody younger and saying, watch it. Do you, you, are, you, are you putting the God's word in your heart? Are you hiding it there? But there's somebody, there's a relationship here inferred. And maybe to ask this question, do you allow other people into your life to speak real words of truth toward you? Are you open to other people walking close enough with you that if you're veering off that path just a little bit, that that person will say, hey, hey, buddy, hey, ma'am, be careful. See, do we allow other people to speak words of life to us? And I think this one of the challenges is, is for us men. We just don't want to allow guys to get close enough to us to really speak to our hearts. And I, I think if people ask us, we're going, yeah, okay, I think I should do it. But maybe this is what you should do. You just go, stop, and pray, and God, who should I enter who who's what whose world should i enter and just ask can we meet folks we need people in our lives and as men we need people in our lives to encourage us to speak the truth in love to us but let me give you another one letter c this is a hard one letter c we need to deal with subtle sins subtle sins Turn with me to Hebrews 12. And I've looked at this in the past, but I want to just put this one verse on you to begin with. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Now, weight could be things that are not sinful and are still holding us back from the journey. But the sin which clings so closely, let us run with endurance a race that is set before us. Now, I would argue it's probably more of a marathon in terms of our walk with Christ than a, than a speed race type thing. But do you notice that the sin that clings so closely, uh, New American says, uses the word entangled. But here's what happens. I think we fall into a trap. We read this and, and the trap is like this. We create this category of big sins. Homosexuality and immorality and murder, theft, all of these things that are really big. And we go, okay, I'm going to get rid of, you know, I'm going to stay away from those sins. And yet over here, there's a group of very subtle sins that we try to avoid thinking about. And when you think of what are they, it's stuff like this. Gossip, unforgiveness, slander, running people down so we look better, judgmentalism so it makes us look more spiritual, critical spirit, divisiveness, using hurtful words that don't build up, even looks that kill and judge, just looks. The sin of justifying, withdrawing love from a spouse. Saying words that give death instead of life. Folks, these are the subtle sins that cling to our heart and would entangle our lives. 
And we don't want to admit that, that the, the summary of these subtle sins is there's still a deep sin of self-love and justification says that these are okay and these are evil. And we just have this logic that's flawed that says somehow we can live with this. And this is what's springing from our heart very subtly. And oftentimes we don't even see it ourselves. But the logic is flawed. I, I came across it, an example of flawed logic and even maybe how it works in the Christian world. Uh, there was some analysis of some dieting trends, how it affected different cultures. And, and it said this, the Japanese eat little fat and suffer fewer heart problems than Americans or British. The French eat a lot of fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than the U.S. or Britain. The Italians drink a lot of red wine and have a lower risk of heart problems than their Western neighbors. What can we conclude from these facts? It's this, you can eat and drink whatever you want, but speaking English will kill you. <laughs> but isn't that the kind of logic that we use in saying that the subtle sins really don't matter, but they matter relationally every day? It matters in terms of our presence, in terms of loving the world. The subtle sins hurt. We're called to guard our heart, to get rid of those subtle sins that are entangling us. But there's a third point I got to go down this morning. Number three, to guard our hearts, we need to do this. Remember Jesus, the gospel. Look at Proverbs 4.25. It says, Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. You see, it's saying don't wander your gaze here and your gaze here. But the question is, what do we look toward? Well, let me bring back Hebrews 12 and finish the rest of, of those verses. So it says, Run the endurance of race that's set before us. But look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So not only are we supposed to deal with the subtle sin, but the question is, do we fix our eyes on Jesus in this journey? Because this, I think, is really true. We can be in Christ, we can have the Holy Spirit in us, and we can still forget about having a relationship with Jesus and the triune God. We can forget about the essence of the great commandment that sums up all of the scriptures to love God with our heart, soul, and our mind. And you realize, even as a church, okay, my desire as a church, that we would be highly attentive to the scriptures, that, that this would be center in our lives. But I have to tell you, having a relationship and remembering Jesus is more than just learning biblical facts and doctrine. Biblical facts provide information. Real truth produces transformation. See, knowing about Jesus is different than being with him and knowing him. Uh, let me kind of give you an illustration here. Let me put up a definition on the screen of a kiss. 
Here's two definitions. To touch, to press with the lips slightly pursued, and then often to part them and to emit a smacking sound. Okay? And the second one I like, the pressing of two mandibles, which is the jaws, together resulting in exchange of saliva. How's that one for a kiss? But here's the deal. Knowing about a kiss and experiencing it are two different things. Matter of fact, Faith Hill, some of you know the song. It was called This Kiss. It's the way you love me. It's a, I should sing it, huh? It's a feeling like this. It's a centrifugal motion. It's a perpetual bliss. It's that pivotal moment. It's impossible. This kiss, this kiss. Unstoppable. This kiss, this kiss. You see, the difference between having a definition of a kiss and actually experiencing it, I should have had my wife here and come up to give a demonstration of it here today, but understand it's the difference, all the difference in the world. You can know about Jesus, or you can actually know him intimately. And that is profoundly different in terms of guarding our own hearts. See, a a church can be a Bible-believing church and forget about Jesus and the gospel. A church can become a great learning center and and forget Jesus. A, A church can focus on community and relationships and forget Jesus. A church can be committed to serving and doing ministry and, and serving the poor and giving shoes to Johnny, and we don't give Johnny Jesus. We give him shoes only. And, and parents can focus on great parenting and forget about their relationship with their heavenly father. And marriages can focus on having a great marriage, and you forget about the ultimate marriage of a bride and a groom. Jesus is the groom, and we are the bride a relationship, an intimate relationship with the groom who is Jesus. See, this reality is so subtle. And matter of fact, I'd even go one step farther. I would say this. People can work at staying out of the ditch and dealing with sins and forget Jesus. You can work at morality. You can stay out of the ditch. You can avoid all that stuff. And you actually can forget the Son of God. Matter of fact, history proves this out. And it, and it came across a pattern uh, doing some reading this week and, and how it kind of movements in history when the gospel is embraced. Well, look at the, the order. Oftentimes, even in the United States, you think when years, hundred years, couple hundred years ago, you know what? The gospel of Jesus was accepted. But all of a sudden it moved toward the gospel of Jesus and Jesus was assumed. And then all of a sudden the culture moves and the gospel is confused. And all of a sudden the gospel is gone and it's lost. And and I look at this order and you apply it to the United States and I go, we're at the third and fourth spot. It's both been confused and it's almost lost in many people's hearts. But is this just modern day stuff? I go, no. See, this actually happened to the early churches. Let me put Revelation 2 on the screen. So John's writing here. He's the one that finished out his life at an old age. And look at what he observed and what the Spirit told him to write. It says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. And you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. They got good doctrine 
and I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. You're, you're faithful and you've not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Here's a church that did everything right and they walked and they forgot about Jesus. The meaning of Jesus changed for them. And he can even go farther. Look at, to the church of Sardis, Revelation 3. I know all the things you do and you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. I couldn't help but think this is some of the churches here in the United States today. But you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard, believed at first, hold it firmly, repent, and look what it says, and turn to me again. Jesus and the gospel can get lost in our hearts. And we can try to be doing everything right and we be being the good Christian, but we forget that Jesus needs to be the center of our hearts. Let me put that verse 423 back up on the screen. As you walk through the week this week, here would be the challenge for you. Would, be, would you be willing to just stop some time and ponder and ask the question, am I guarding my heart? Am I staying out of the ditch? Am I dealing with sin in my life? Am I running to Jesus? Because when you do those things, I think 23 is taking place. You will keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow springs of life. And you go, that's what, what's flowing? The water that's coming out of our lives is good. And it's not rusty and filled with rust. And there's not bacteria in it. And people can drink in one sense of who we are and their lives are changed. See, God wants us to change our hearts. But today, the challenge would be, do we protect our hearts? Do we slow down and say, God, what do you need to do in me so that I'm protecting my relationship with you? Let's stand and pray.